Excuse uh, me. Communications Commission. Okay, we don't know what that was all about because we are still <laughs> learning everything in the studio. But hey, I'm your host, Olga Peters, and my co-host, Emily Kornheiser. Who and curses like a sailor and really tries to keep it together when I'm on air. <laughs> so please don't call the FCC. <laughs> Hello, Brattlebro. Well, actually, that was kind of strange that that went out at all because I had turned off your mic. Mm. So it shouldn't have picked up at all. Um, which means we have even more to learn. But isn't this exciting? Because we're talking about how to engage with your community, how to engage with democracy. And I think we just proved that sometimes it's not always a smooth process. And today we are starting our month of legislating morality and talking about legislating morality. And I think cussing on the airways is actually firmly into <laughs> legislating morality. So I did that on purpose. Yes, it was it was a teachable moment, it folks. Was, absolutely. <laughs> so we have a guest today who we will be bringing on air very soon. His name is David Poses, and he was someone who, when he was about 16 years old, started using heroin and then spent the next 16 years trying to stop using heroin. Now he's been sober for about 11 years, and he writes and speaks about addiction and mental health. So I am excited, you know, given some of the conversations that's happening in our community right now, I'm really excited to hear what David has to say on some of these issues. I am too, because I think we're using this time to really take a step back, try to understand the issues so that we all feel more informed as we engage deeply with them. And so excited to just like get right in, talk about what's effective, what's not. And how do you build policy or maybe you don't around yeah. some of these social issues? Absolutely. So, hey, David, I'd love to welcome you to the show right now. How are you today? Uh-oh. Can he not hear me? We thought we had one thing taken care of. Um, so, you know what I'm going to do, Emily? What are you going to do? I'm going to put you on the hot seat Oh, while yes. I hang up the phone and call David back. Okay, that okay? sounds great. So yes. we're going to do that. So over the summer, we have been talking about, in our community of Brattleboro, um, about who's living here. I think there's been a lot of conversations about who deserves public space, who, what rules we use in public space. And part of those conversations have been about folks who are using opiates in our community. And one piece of that that's been really interesting to me throughout this process and through these conversations is that so many of us are able to engage in our addictions, whatever those are, in private. And some of us don't have private space. And so we need to do those things in public. And so behaviors that often people can engage in, in and not be criminalized for when they're in private, um, when people don't have that access to private space, then become criminalized behaviors. So I think that's really part of this network of conversations. That's um, who can use substances where, what treatment options are available and accessible, um, both accessible in terms of money and dollars and health insurance, and then also accessible in terms of who's available to prescribe them, what hoops do you have to jump through. Fantastic. Thank you, Emily, for sitting in the hot seat. Any time. It's <laughs> when I really shine. So, hey, I want to welcome David Poses to the show. How are you, David? I'm great. How are you? Awesome now that we can hear your lovely voice. Cool. <laughs> so, David, um, I gave the audience the quick bio that you had given us. 
When it comes to addiction and, and mental health, what is your focus right now as someone who speaks and, and writes on the subject? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I have a couple of uh, key points. Um, one is that, I, for, for me at least, um, or I guess I should start by saying that everyone is different, so there's really no universal, but I believe that most addicts um, come to use drugs because of some underlying issue. Um, you're trying to, for, for me, it was depression. Um, I couldn't uh, handle my feelings. I was too ashamed um, of it. And so uh, heroin was a coping mechanism. Um, and I think that's probably fairly common. So um, the idea of uh, getting sober triages your addiction, but in the absence of um, dealing with the underlying issues, um, I think you're you're ripe for relapse. Um, so I guess that whole kind of circle, which I tried to distill very fast, um, is is one. And then um, the other is just the idea of um, treatment in general and our mm -hmm. approach. Um, buprenorphine was life saving for me, um, so I'm I'm basically a, a walking commercial for it um, at this point. Um, it may be worth mentioning that this is not a paid endorsement, <laughs> um, but, um, uh, I, you know, it, it, it works. Um, I was one of those people who I think probably, you know, plenty of addicts are the, um, I'm never going to get well. Everybody else can do it except me. Um, you know, hopeless and helpless kind of a person. Um, and buprenorphine really does work. Um, I mean, I, it was a very long struggle for me, and within minutes, um, I knew that I found the answer. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, you know, spreading that message around um, has been kind of central to my uh, operation, I guess. Could, we, could um, you actually help us understand that better? Because we are at the point in our community where people speak fairly casually about sort of the range of options you know people know there's sure. a methadone clinic and they know that bup is a thing that's sometimes in the yeah. street and sometimes not but like what does it do what does it feel like to take it why does it work for you personally okay um well i mean i guess uh methadone is a synthetic opioid right so if opioid is a if, is a category then methadone um, is to heroin as, uh, you know, vodka is to scotch. Um, so if you're going from heroin to methadone, you're, you're basically just kind of swapping your, your um, you know, your poison. Um, buprenorphine is a partial opiate antagonist. So um, if you think of it like um, uh, opioids work by flooding your brain with uh, serotonin and dopamine, right? And so while that happens, um, if it's a flood, uh, there's going to be some erosion. And so when the water stops, you're standing on a beach that's, you know, 20 feet lower than you were in the first place. Um, and I guess that's a really mild way to describe withdrawal, but it's, um, it, it's ongoing. I mean, there's a lot of science that shows that um, it, it does cause permanent damage um, at a cellular level in your brain. Um, again, it's different for everybody. But um, so basically what buprenorphine does is it works as um, a heavy blanket on your opiate receptors. Um, so, you know, you hear a lot, or you hear and read a lot about, uh, you know, those pesky cravings um, that addicts get. And that's really, it, it doesn't do justice to the word. 
or to to the the feeling um you know craving is like uh you know it's a hot day and, and i sure could go for some ice cream like that's a craving with with um heroin it's i need this i'm going to die if i don't get it um which makes it very hard to live your life uh you know if that's what's going on in your brain so buprenorphine silences that um by wrapping itself around your opiate receptors so you're not you're not high um you with methadone you know it it, it is uh, an opioid so you get high from methadone um so you're not high on buprenorphine you're even basically you're not um you know the erosion uh they brought in more sand so you're at the level that you were at um your brain is not screaming for for drugs um and everything is okay and with that um you know from that platform uh for me at least you know that made recovery possible um i couldn't even think about uh you know dealing with the the um underlying issues until i had you know even footing um so does that answer your question okay that is very helpful yes, yes thank it you it really is okay if, i feel like i'm rambling <laughs> no we're not the sand stuff okay. i think it, you paused for a moment wondering if you had sort of dug your metaphor a little too deep and i think it was actually really helpful no I didn't even. Intended. I did not. I did not mean that pun. Actually, I was just in the visual with you. Um, but I, I, I think that really helped. We will. On, Don't on. worry. Okay. So cool. just for a quick break, because I forgot to do this at the top of the hour, and I am supposed to. So if you are just joining us, this is the Montpelier Happy Hour. And you are listening on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And, of course, the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and the guests, not the radio station. You can stream on the web at WVEW.org. Ha! Huh. And I'm speaking with David Poses. Okay, so David, you and I spoke briefly before coming on air, just, just to touch base, and I really would love to to uh dig in if we're talking about sand and gravel and digging ourselves holes maybe <laughs> in this case um right you know one thing we are curious about in this segment that we're going to be doing with the montpelier happy hour on social issues and legislating morality you know uh the state of vermont has been trying to do a lot around getting people treatment who need it um decriminalizing uh marijuana you know all these different things around substance use and i'm curious what are your thoughts i mean if someone just says to you uh we can legislate around or build policy around addiction kind of like what's your thought on that is that even the best place for us to be focusing at the um, policy level. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, it's a health issue. And it so happens that drugs are illegal, so it becomes a matter of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, but we know a lot more today than we did, uh, you know, even a couple of years ago. Um, and the fact that opioid addiction is a national health emergency, not a national police emergency, um, you know, I think that that tells us a lot. So, um, I mean, the idea of, uh, you know, should drugs be illegal and what do we do about that is an entirely separate issue in my mind from, um, you know, w what do we do now that drugs are here uh, and we and we want to help, um, you know, get people well. I mean, I think um, there are a lot of um, the, the stereotypes and misconceptions out there, uh, you know, um, addiction is a disease. 
Um, in the 1930s, when AA was founded, they um, started calling addiction a disease as a way to um, get around the stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so today we know that it is a disease, um, but it is treated by a lot of people as, as some kind of moral defect, um, which was the problem in the, in, in the 30s, um, why they came up with the disease term in the first place. So I don't think that it's so cut and dry, um, because if you think of it as a disease, which it very much is, and you need these drugs in order to survive whatever it is that, that you're doing, um, then, you know, when it becomes a matter of survival, just as uh, it, it's, it's interesting how um, when we hear about the, the starving, you know, mother who steals food for her kids, you know, that's okay. Nobody has a problem with that, you know, and, and there's almost like a good for her. <laughs> um, but when there's um, a drug addict, uh, you know, who goes out and steals to support his habit, um, it's, it's a moral issue. And I think the, the problem happens when, um, you know, the, the disease distinction, um, it's, not, it's not so black and white. So if you commit a crime, um, which is immoral, then the crime was still committed. And so if you stole, you know, whatever it was, um, then you're still responsible for that. You can blame the disease as much as you want to, um, and, and it certainly makes sense. You know, if you're, if you're um, you know, suffocating, you're going to do whatever you can to breathe. So, uh, I mean, you know, I, I get it, and I think plenty of people have been there. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, a crime was still committed, uh, and, and there does need to be some, you know, accountability for it. I, I, I don't think that we can just say... Um, you know, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's fine, you have a disease, don't worry about it. Because I think, um, you know, we all know that there's a, there are a lot of differences between, you know, say, cancer and um, heroin addiction. However, um, apart from the moral business, yeah. One of the big differences between cancer and heroin addiction is that the medicine for cancer is, well, I guess actually like given neoliberal health policy right now, I don't even know if the medicine for cancer actually is that readily available considering how much it costs to get sick nowadays. But, um, <laughs> you know, let's say even 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so the medicine not being readily available for heroin addiction means that people are making sort of rational decisions to commit crimes in order to access the medicine they need, in this case, heroin, right? Uh, and yeah, I mean, yes. So in, in the framework of the disease that they're dealing with. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so what can we do from a policy perspective to sort of lessen the impacts of the disease that way? So there's, you know, one conversation that I think we should have further down the line about, like, how do we just keep people from dying? Which is really <laughs> right. important, yep. okay. right? Like, let's keep people, from, sure. people from dying. But how yep. to also sort of the crimes that occur as a result of people's addiction and people's you know, search for heroin, what are things that government can do and that communities can do to make a difference on that? Um, I mean, you know, I'm going to go back to uh, buprenorphine on that one. Um, I think, uh, you know, if if, you're not going to meet a lot of happy uh, heroin addicts out there, it's it's generally not, you know, an existence that anybody aspires to. And and wants to have, um, and buprenorphine um, being as effective as it is, I mean, there's you know countless studies 
out there. The fact that any doctor in the United States can prescribe um, morphine, fentanyl, you know, OxyContin, whatever, and 7% of American doctors are licensed, um, have the waiver to prescribe buprenorphine uh, amidst what is a national health epidemic. I mean, you kind of have to wonder if, if this was a flu epidemic, would we give 7% of our doctors the cure to prescribe? Probably not. Um, so I think it definitely starts there. Um, if there's somebody who is so committed to being a heroin addict, they just love it and they don't want to get help, um, you know, there, there is uh, a buprenorphine um, implant that makes it, um, you know, easier to, uh, I guess I shouldn't have said somebody who really wants to because that's, I don't think that that exists, but um, uh, you know, with with it, in, like if you're taking it every day, um, as I do, then you know I could decide if I wanted to. I'm not going to take this anymore, and I'm going to go out and relapse. Um, you know, so for for someone who's in that kind of um, you know situation, I I think um, the implant becomes invaluable. But I mean, really, just making it more readily available, I think, will. Um, will address um, much of the much of the problem. Um, a lot of the de- no debate um, that I've heard sort of in legislative circles around decriminalizing bupe so that it can be available on the street is that, um, yeah. you know, people might enjoy using it and that would be problematic. Um, that's the implication. And so I'm curious about your thoughts on that, because that for me is um, that really yeah. gets into that legislating morality well, idea. Well, and, and before you respond, David, I would add to that that I know this isn't bu- buprenorphine. I never say it right. Um, you just said it right. Oh, hey, we gold star to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the other uh, thing I tend to hear about uh, Narcan and quick remedies for o- overdoses. And, and I think they fall into kind of the same thought trench where people are like oh well all you're doing is enabling this behavior if people don't have the threat of ODing anymore then they're not going to give up heroin if people have a gentle way to come down from heroin abuse they're not or misuse they're not going to take it you know it's just like I think there's I yeah I just want to put that out there because I think those are some thoughts that are moving around in the community Sure. I mean, I, I, I definitely um, understand. Uh, I, I can totally see the Narcan argument from both sides. Um, I mean, you know, I was very care. I mean, the, the, the heroin was not anywhere near as strong um, when I was using as it is today. But, um, you know, I, I was very, very careful, um, uh, you know, with as obviously it's not a regulated, you know, consistent product with quality assurance. But, um you know, there was no Narcan option um, back then. So I, I can certainly see the argument of, you know, well, if I know that I can be revived because there's Narcan, I'm going to be less careful. And, you know, the, the, the kind of, um, you know, can of worms that that opens. Um, on the buprenorphine side, I mean, Wait, I think Can I pause really, you for a second? Because I, yeah. and please correct me if this is an assumption, I would imagine that the financial privilege that you brought to your addiction meant that you were able to be more careful about the quality of heroin that you were purchasing. Um, and mean, I could be like, please tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's not true. Um, okay. I mean, you know, there's, uh, I, I didn't have special drug dealers like, um, you know, uh, 
rich guy um, drug dealers. I, I went to the same drug dealers in, in you know bad neighborhoods um, as everybody else. And um, you know, I mean, again, it's it's an illegal product, so uh, it, it's not like you know I got the Armani um, of heroin and uh, everybody else was you know buying the you know um, Walmart brand. Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> you no know, heroin. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I think with with any with anything, I mean, there's just some level of, of common sense as far as, um, you know, supply and demand goes. If there's a demand for anything and it's hard to get, there's, it's going to be diverted and there's going to be a black market. I mean, you know, I remember um, when I was a kid, there were always people in on street corners of the city selling DVDs of first-run movies, um, you know, because you couldn't otherwise get it, um, not because they were crushing it up and, um, you know, snorting it <laughs> or injecting it. Um, you know, there, there was a demand. So the, the street level of buprenorphine um, business, I, I wholeheartedly believe, is not about a bunch of people who want to get high, um, because you really can't get, it's, it's not a drug that gets you high. And if you're on the street looking for um, some type of opiate to get high from, you know, there's a whole world of options before you end up with, um, with buprenorphine, which isn't really going to do anything um, to you, in, you know, un- unless you're looking to stave off withdrawal, in which case the decriminalization thing, I mean, I, I-, I think, um, you know, we... I think everything really just needs to be thought through. Decriminalize, if by that you mean, you know, anybody can get it and it's available anywhere. Um, I mean, I think that's a little bit um, reckless. I mean, I think it should be available to anyone who needs it the way that Advil um, is. Uh, and especially if, it's, if, if the point of it is to um, not use heroin, I mean, that's what it's for, then we should absolutely be encouraging people to get it, um, you know, and, and, and similar with Narcan. I mean, I, 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 again, I see the argument of, um, you know, uh, how somebody could be more cavalier knowing that they can be um, revived, but, you know, a life is a life. And the, you know, well, we're just postponing death and they're going to die anyway and, and all of like that, um, you know, okay, well, nevertheless, you still don't want people dying. Um, and we're all going to die anyway, so we're all... Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we all uh, fight against that, <laughs> <yes>. so... <laughs> Yeah, um, right. I'm trying to achieve uh, immortality by not by not dying. Um, <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> yeah. well, I actually think that's a great place to pause and move over to some of our underwriters. Give them a little moment in the spotlight. Emily, David, and I shall return momentarily. Stay tuned. <laughs> 